Hello, I'm Lee from First Person Safety, and here tonight we have Chuck Haggard uh, to further comment on my recent Stop and Think video in which I raised a question about a particular justification for red dot sights on pistols. I'm a little skeptical at some of the pushback that I've gotten from the video because the only pushback I've gotten has been, but cops point guns at people all the time as if that's acceptable. And maybe this should be another topic all of its own. But since uh, that response came back to the, uh, the stop and think about the red dot site justification, we're going to go ahead and do it as a response video to this. Uh, one of the early responses I got was from Chuck, who brought up the, the point of wheel cops maybe shouldn't be pointing guns at people all the time and even extended that to weapon mounted lights, which is kind of funny because one of the comments about cops pointing guns at people all the time was related to, well, when they search with their long guns, they do that. Uh, this video is a little late in getting up because Chuck was at a very special event this past weekend. And uh, to start it off, Chuck, hello, everybody, where you were this weekend, what was going on? So I uh, got back from Orlando, Florida. I was in an event hosted by HK, a uh, number of industry people, gun writers, things like that. They're going to do an unveil on a, a new product that I got to play with. It's pretty cool. And then uh, I had the pleasure of working with some of their other guns, like uh, the BP-9s that are optics ready. Uh, our mutual friend, Brian Hill, taught an outstanding block of instruction on utilizing pistols with red dot sights. Uh, and then they had some other stuff, uh, MP5s for people to shoot, had some force-on-force -force training. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures from that event, and I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what's coming out of it because it looks like a lot of great people, including yourself, were involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was a very good event. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned Brian was there teaching about red dot sights on pistols, folks. I am not anti red dot sights on pistols or rifles. As a matter of fact, this very weekend, one of the other reasons why we're so late in getting this video up is that I was at Dave Spalding's red dot sight workshop trying to learn more about how to run a red dot sight on a pistol. I'm not trying to argue against red dots or weapon mounted lights or low power variable optics on rifles in the least. This is all about critical thinking on the internet, if that's possible. Uh, Chuck, if you would kind of set a foundation for uh, your knowledge of use of force and use of force laws and, and such topics. Uh, I didn't say that clearly, I got some noise in my background. Um, just tell everybody what you know about as a use of force instructor, what your background is, uh, years in law enforcement, et cetera. So I'm uh, currently in my 34th year of law enforcement um, with my third and fourth agencies. I can't remember if I told you, you know, I'm working full time for the airport police, but I'm also one of my recruit officers from way back in the day is now the sheriff of the county that I'm in. And he asked me to come on board as a part-time officer, so I'm assisting them with training. My background includes uh, being an, a national instructor for National Law Enforcement Training Center out of Kansas City, Missouri, which is partnered with Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. And the entire premise of that organization is reasonable use of force training. Uh, it's all instructor-level training for law enforcement agency personnel. Uh, I have been a, I was previously a police officer for 28 years before uh, retiring as a lieutenant. I was a shift commander. Uh, I have been a SWAT team member for 17 years on a very busy team. You know, I could track to something over 2,200 high-risk warrants in the 17 years I was on the team. 
I'm also, you know, I've got quite a bit of training, firearms, use of force, defensive tactics, uh, every, everything. So, uh, yeah, you know about my class, uh, something between a harsh word and a gun. Well, if I, if I pin down my resume, I have everything between a harsh word and a gun. Uh, I've served in a SWAT capacity as a, as a sniper, team leader, uh, served at a command level at a fairly large police department in our area, uh, been in charge of the shooting review board for my agency, uh, where we, we eventually turned into a use of force review board where we reviewed every single use of force by every officer in the agency. Uh, I was an adjunct instructor for Stratagos International uh, that started out under Ken Good as the original Surefire Institute. And I was primarily tasked uh, with assisting with active shooter and uh, low light instructor training in that venue. So we did a lot of training for law enforcement instructors uh, on those two subjects. Uh, I have personally responded to active shooter events twice in my career and uh, wrote a bit on that on solo officer response because one of the go after was a solo officer response. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm currently uh, recognized in both uh, state court and federal court as an expert witness on uh, use of force, firearms, defensive tactics, arrest and control, uh, chemical weapons, and a few other things. So, and I would, Take, I would presume that in all those years of experience, you investigated complaints of criminal activity as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, Chuck, um, if you were to respond to a call and you were investigating an incident in which uh, person A pointed a firearm at person B without legal justification to do so, what would the criminal charge for that be in Kansas? In, in Kansas, it would be an aggravated assault, which is a, a higher level person's felony. You place somebody in reasonable fear of death or great bodily harm. Uh, so uh, legally, the charge, if I was to point the gun at them or if I was to fire the gun at them and miss, uh, pretty much it would be legally the same, the same charge in our jurisdiction. Uh, in, in my jurisdiction, it would be one of two charges. It would be either an aggravated assault, which is a felony charge, or we have a misdemeanor version, which is pointing a pistol at another, which is the unlawful pointing a pistol at, at, at a person without legal justification. So is there any exception to that law for people wearing a badge? Uh, there is not. Uh, actually, the I mean, there is an affirmative defense in court, just like there is. Uh, most people are familiar with the term, the, you know, the concept of a justifiable homicide. So you have a homicide that would normally be a murder. But under the law, we allow exceptions to that where uh, you make your case that it was self-defense. You were in reasonable fear of death or great bodily harm. So, you know, the, the court or the DA's office, uh, the grand jury, perhaps, looks at that and rules it being a justifiable homicide. So you can do that with lesser crimes as well, including pointing a gun at another human being. Uh, interesting enough, in Kansas, we've legally codified the uh, definition of what a use of force is. And of course, we know all uses of force must be legal. And under our definition, the use of force law applies both to police officers and non-police officers. And placing somebody in apprehension of death or great bodily harm 
uh, is in fact, by law, a use of force in our state. Uh, I'll say that's backed up. I know of several lawsuits against law enforcement officers in, a, in several venues where unjustifiably putting muzzles on people was found to be excessive force with, with no other force used. All right. So if we put this in context of what the original stop and think video was about, the notion of a cop is able to look through the optic at the subject what legal justification needs to be present to do that? Well, as you as you know, under Garner, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, Graham Doctrine, all use of force has to be articulably reasonable. So, if I had a person that um, I wasn't justified in shooting at, or very very close to shooting, uh, like uh, we know that. Like in my career, if I had shot everybody I could have legally shot, I would have got nothing else done. There was a lot of things that I met legal definition of Garner versus Tennessee, in which I had somebody, you know, maybe I did, in fact, muzzle somebody. I would have been legally justified in shooting them. But what I was trying to do was not shoot them. So uh, what I would say is if I if I have sights on somebody, if I have muzzle, basically our, our old use of force report at my old job was uh, what triggered a use of force was, you know, if we pepper sprayed somebody, if we uh, tasered somebody or something like that. One of them, the short version was if muzzle crosses meat equals use of force report. So we reviewed all those and we had to make sure there was legal justification for that happening. And typically that happened at the last second before you were actually going to open fire when you were legally justified to shoot, but you were trying to not shoot the person and uh, then they surrender and you de-escalate the situation. So uh, what I commonly see though is a lot of police training only involves things like qualifications. And we know when you're doing a qualification course fire, gun comes out of the holster, muzzle goes on the target, typically trigger goes on, or finger goes on the trigger. And so what do cops do under stress when they're on the street, uh, particularly when they're trying to get the gun between them and something scary is they start muzzling everybody around them, whether they have legal justification to do that or not. Uh, I could tell you I was uh, called to help defend a city in which they had a negligent discharge homicide stemming from the negligent use by one of their sergeants of a weapon-mounted light in which they went straight to muzzles on. And by uh, department policy, uh, muzzling somebody was a use of force by state law department or by state law muzzling somebody was a use of force. But what they stated in uh, the pretrial, like the depositions and the fact finding and things like that, because they were a dope unit, was they muzzled everybody routinely, even though they knew they weren't supposed to, because that's the way we do things around here. That's the way we do things around here does not meet Graham or Garner uh, justification and reason reasonableness in any way, shape or form. So um, just because something is being done doesn't make it a good idea. If uh, we go back far enough, you and I both know that uh, fleeing felons were routinely shot. Uh, in, my just, in my jurisdiction, one of my old lieutenants told me 
uh, you know, back in the 60s, early 70s, if they were, had a drunk driver or refused to pull over, uh, it wasn't uncommon for one partner to hang out the passenger window and shoot the tires off the car uh, as they pursued it down the road. Uh, clearly something that would be, um, you know, an outrageous level of excessive force nowadays. Yeah, um, we have a state Supreme Court ruling on a different issue, but it says that a standard practice does not create an exception to the Constitution. And, and that was a, that was an incident where uh, an officer had adopted a standard practice of seizing all firearms on traffic stops and running the serial numbers because, quote, I found stolen guns that way. And our state Supreme Court said just because that's what you've started doing does not make that a justified seizure of so much property. And I think we can draw a parallel to that in what you just said. Just because cops are running around muzzling people all the time doesn't mean that it's legal or that it's good practice. No, not at all. Uh, I can tell you there's a number of jurisdictions where uh, we can learn from the whole weapon mount thing in law enforcement and we start putting lights on pistols and we don't give people an exceptional level of training on how to properly deploy that i don't mean go to the range and shoot with it i mean tactically deploy that and show them the very narrow niche where that gear actually fits in then we end up with uh you know i can think of several jurisdictions denver comes to mind louisville kentucky has a very famous now Incidents where an officer uh, pointed a gun at a homeless guy hiding in a vacant house, and she was trying to turn her light on, was muzzling the guy the whole time, and then had a bang, oh shit uh, moment where she ends up negligently shooting this dude in the gut. We didn't really hear about it nationally too much because the guy ended up surviving, but you know, tens of thousands of dollars of uh, reconstructive surgery, this guy being in the hospital for months. Uh, the officer losing her job, uh, then this guy getting getting a payout from the city for negligence by the officer. Uh, you know, all, all of that stuff really happened. And unfortunately, it happens uh, far more often than, than people are probably typically aware of. Yeah, I worked as well. I actually investigated the incident and then later testified as an expert witness at the trial in which the deputy uh, had a weapon mounted light on his pistol and ended up confronting a suspect in the suspect's house. It was all in response to a domestic violence call. And the deputy shoots the suspect after the suspect chambers around into a pistol and starts to raise the pistol at the deputy. He is then charged with aggravated assault on the deputy and, and the victim of the domestic violence call. Uh, the individual's defense at trial was he thought his home was being invaded, not that it was deputy sheriff's. And he said that the light on the deputy's firearm blinded him and he could not tell that it was a deputy holding the firearm. And that case came down to the jury watching the video and us freezing it. And the deputy was actually at low ready with the light shining into the floor and the splash from the light was what lit up the suspect. And then the deputy mm -hmm. transitioned from low ready to shots on, on, on the suspect. And that's when they said, well, no, he wasn't blinding the guy with his light. It was shining at the floor. Now, I'll tell you, there are times tactically to be blinding people with lights, but uh, the, the use of the weapon mounted light that you describe 
is exactly what I teach in the vast majority of situations where I'm going to put somebody at gunpoint uh, and I want to have a muzzle a little ready. I want to be very, very ready to go. But as you know, rule two is still a thing. Uh, if you're, I'm not supposed to let my muzzle cover anything that I'm not willing to kill or destroy, then having a badge on my chest doesn't change that rule any. Uh, then we also know best practices in pistol fights. It's a very good idea to engage in low ready or some other muzzle averted ready until it's time, until it's go time, it's time to shoot. Uh, what we typically see is somebody going muzzle on target. The only safety they have is typically the trigger finger, although the trigger fingers wander into trigger guards commonly. So they got the muzzle on the target. They make a panicked decision to shoot. Their finger goes to the trigger and then they honk the first few shots into the floor, into the street or wherever they're at before they get any kind of hit on the bad guy. So, uh, you know, the whole, the whole thing goes together as a package. You have somebody in a situation like you described, low ready and emotional control and tactical control of the scenario. Then when they, if they are forced to engage a suspect, typically it goes very well. All right, Chuck, one other topic I want to touch on because uh, it relates to everything else we've said. Um, in a group that you and I are both members of, a discussion came up regarding uh, the use of a low power variable optic on a rifle. And the same person that questioned some of what you and I had said previously um, raised the issue of the use of the optic to identify a target or a threat. And um, you and I talked about that a little bit offline. You were a sniper on a SWAT team as well. Yes. Yes, I was. School, school trained, not just, hey, here's a gun uh, and you're a real good shot uh, kind of thing. So uh, <laughs> the reason spotting scopes and binoculars exist is so that you can scan uh, for whatever you're looking for. Uh, maybe you're looking for suspects. Maybe you're on a call out or a barricade or something like that. Uh, checking the windows of the house, that sort of thing. Uh, before I would end up with a muzzle on a bad guy, I would have uh, had some sort of other optical device where I was checking out what that problem is. So before we had this conversation, I was kind of racking my brain on how would that be any kind of semi-viable? I suppose I could come up with a and I'm talking about in CONUS, I'm not talking about in the Hindu, uh, but say you have a rifle and or you have a, a low power variable optic and you have some sort of legitimate reason to have that gun out and to point it someplace. Uh, and I can think of, uh, you remember that one gentleman, I think it was in Texas where they had a church shooting and he ended up grabbing his AR-15 and like a handful of rounds. And mm -hmm. uh, he had another guy driving the truck and he was stuffing rounds in the magazine trying to catch the bad guy. Um, ended up finishing the fight with the AR-15. I suppose if that guy had a low power variable optic and at the last second, he's like, you know what? I think, you know, that's the guy over there with the gun. That's where the gunfire is coming from. Uh I'm going to put a reticle on this dude and then have the optic turned up to six or eight or whatever, whatever I've got and make absolutely sure before I pull the trigger on the dude from a hundred yards away that it's the right dude. 
that is probably the most niche possible use scenario that I could think of that, um, you know, we're, we're getting way, way off in the weeds of possibilities. Because uh, I really can't think of a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of instances. Uh, looking back on my tactical history files in my head, where anything like that has ever happened to anybody, and I think uh, a lot of people see an incident that feeds uh, some of their their you know kind of confirmation bias. And look at that as being something typical when it's really one of those black swan events. Right. So you're you're drawing a distinction then between searching with the optic and a last second verification of yes, that is my threat that I have to deal with. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, my 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 analogy would be I see a lot of slob deer hunters looking for deer through their scopes. It's absolutely abhorrent behavior. It's unsafe and it's douchebaggery. You should be glassing for game with a spotting scope or binoculars. And then when you work your your way into position, once you're up on a gun, you confirm, yeah, like that's the deer I was looking at. That's where I'm going to put the bullet. Uh, you know, is my shot line clear? I'm not going to shoot twigs in a way or something like that and then make a clean shot. You know, that would be the proper use for an optic like that. And if you look at that paradigm uh, and translate it to a defensive type thing, it makes sense. Um, but also, man, uh, I, I've done a lot of work with a lot of rifles and outside of um some really weird stuff. And the last I knew, uh, Brian Sane, uh, his average police sniper engagement distance was still something somewhere around 47 yards. So, you know, if we're shooting at people so far away that we have to have optics to even confirm our target, uh, one has to wonder what we're actually up to. Yeah, I think of course, in the geographies that you and I have worked in, that's that's probably true. Uh, trying to be fair and, and open-minded here, you know, spent, having spent some time in Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, I can see some situations where, you know, uh, sheriff's cars rolling up a driveway and maybe come under fire and they have to bail out with a rifle. And then they're having to look to see where the shot's coming from. That might be an instance in which you know you're having to combine the search and and the you know, and the muzzle but uh, just as a general technique I, I just think searching with the optic is a bad bad way to be going yeah, i completely agree with uh, the scenario you just outlined I, I guess i was still thinking in the uh civilian self-defense paradigm when i made that comment uh, i was hard-pressed to come up with a, a legitimate uh, scenario in which that kind of thing would happen and which you had would have to press the fight but yeah I could easily see you know we have a lot of rural small uh, agency deputies uh, in my area uh, you know one of my one of my carbines I have at work I have a low power variable optic on it uh, and you know if I was taking rounds from like say the window of a house on a domestic having known domestic people you know some of these incidents where they have kids in the way uh maybe they're holding the wife hostage or something like that would i if i'm seeing muzzle flash coming from a window am i going to put the optic on there to be sure that i am uh going to shoot 
the correct person, that there's nobody else in the way, my shot line is clear. Uh, if you famously look at a very bad use of that sort of thing, um, you know, the whole Randy Weaver standoff with uh, Lon Horiuchi uh, basically getting away with murdering Randy Weaver's wife by, uh, you know, shooting her while she's carrying a baby. I would hate to want to, I would, I would hate to be the guy that has to live with that. Uh, Chuck, if you would, before we wrap up, tell everybody about your company and what you've got coming up. Uh, so my, my personal business is agile training and consulting. Uh, and my whole business model is meeting clients' needs, figuring out what they need and the best way to provide that. Some of my classes are kind of cookie cutter, for want of a better term, like uh, oh, my OC instructor course. So I will be next teaching down in Nashville. I'll have an OC uh, instructor course basically geared towards non-law enforcement people, uh, concealed carry instructors, things like that. Uh, combine that weekend uh, uh Akil Kadir is hosting me for that uh, down there outside of Nashville. Uh, we have a block on uh, OC and other less lethal stuff for uh, non-cops in a street encounters environment, how to have something between a harsh word and a gun. And then we're doing my close quarter handgun employment class. Uh, and then I've got, uh, I've actually, you know, COVID kind of wrecked my training schedule last year and this year. Uh, it's pretty full, uh, you know, I'm taking this weekend off because I've been out of town the last uh, three out of four weekends. Yeah, I'm taking this weekend off too. And I, Jared Reston is finally within three hours of me and a weekend that I'm off, but I've been on the range for the last four weekends and I'm just, okay, I've got to have a day. And uh, I, Jared, if you, if you were to see this, man, I really want to get to a class, uh, but it's just not going to be this time. Uh, Chuck, uh, thank you for coming on and participating tonight and uh, offering some very well-reasoned answers. Uh, I hope that the people that view this will look at it and say, Chuck and I both tried to find ways to look at the other side of what we were saying. Because again, this, this whole project that I've kind of fallen into is not about trying to play gotcha against other instructors or, or other people. This is about having some critical thought, if that's possible on the internet and to discuss topics um, that are relevant to the training industry or the training world for both uh, armed citizens and uh, law enforcement or peace officers. And um, Chuck, you're one of the more reasonable, articulate people that I know when it comes to being able to speak to both of those worlds. So thank you for coming on tonight. I just wanted to point out in closing that, uh, you know, the, the gotcha was, well, cops do it all the time. Well, this conversation is two cops uh, discussing why they think that's a really bad idea. Yeah, I, you know, you touched on one thing that thank you for bringing that up because it reminded me of something you said earlier. If we shot everyone we were legally justified to shoot, well, I, I can think of right now three stone cold uh, justified instances in which I was wholeheartedly justified in using deadly force but didn't and probably another three or four on top of that in which the line was pretty close i know you worked in a much busier area than i i have worked so your numbers are probably a little higher than that i i, I would get, i would hazard a guess in the hundreds right. 
uh, I, I've never been on a SWAT team going through the doors like you did. So I haven't been put in that position. I've, I've led a pretty fairy tale career, and uh, I'm I'm glad about that. Uh, I'm very appreciative of the career that I've led and continuing to lead. Um, yeah, people, uh, folks, I hope that this is uh, being beneficial to you, the viewers, and uh, that you're getting something out of it. Um, stop and think. Just be sure to start again.